Just a quick reminder, folks, if you are looking for someone to help support you in your professional or personal journey throughout your life, please check out my website. And that is michelleamercier.com. But for right now, I am jumping in with the incredible Monique Bailey. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? (sighs) I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. Hey there, entrepreneur, and welcome to today's show. I am excited to welcome Monique Bailey to the show. We have a great topic for you. She is the president of a company called Articulate Persuasion. She's also a communications consultant to rapidly growing organizations, as well as the author of Turbulence, Leadership's Unsexy Solution to Streamline Rapid Growth. See, why I wanted to talk to Monique is because she lives at the intersection of leadership and language, which is extremely important right now. And she brings her experience as a successful entrepreneur and investor and a trusted advisor to C-suite executives right here to the show for us. And she provides them with strategies and tools to increase their visibility, grow their organizations, raise funds, and so much more. So Monique, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so much nicer to hear somebody else say things about you. It sounds so impressive. Thank you. Right. You have, you have a great bio. Like you have, you have just oh, so much thanks. amazing stuff and it's such an interesting topic to be talking about today. So I'm excited to, to jump in. Um, so tell us about your journey, about kind of how you arrived. We were just talking about before we both have theater in our background and mm-hmm. going to school in Boston. So tell us more about your journey to today. So my journey, I love to share my journey because, um, It's completely, if you look at it on paper, it it looks like a random zigzag. I see the through line, right? It makes complete sense to me. And if I walk somebody through my story, it makes sense. But um, my first job professionally was in theater. I I trained at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art um, and worked as an actor for many years, founded a theater company. That's my first, I guess, official um, entrepreneurial endeavor because it is a business and it's certainly not an easy business yeah, and the not. margins nope. suck. Yep. Uh, let's be honest. Um, and, and then from there, I, um, as my career progressed, I moved to London and from there I, I was moving further and further behind the scenes. So really leaning more into the business side of my brain, which I love. And, uh, and from there, I just, when I decided to leave that industry for a variety of reasons, that's a whole other book, um, <laughs> lots of names in that one. Um, the, uh, the, the thing that really stuck with me was really the entrepreneurial, uh, element of my life. And so I started businesses, I sold them and, um, and then uh, about 12 years ago, I, I kind of came to this nexus, as many people do, where they are in transition, they have, they're exiting one idea, and the question comes, what's next? Yeah. And somebody asked me such a great question, which was, um, when was the last time you couldn't wait to jump out of bed in the morning, go to work? And what were you doing? 
Yeah. Which was really interesting because the business that I sold prior to that actually had gotten to a point after eight years where actually I really kind of hated my job, yeah. which was completely diabolical because like I created that job for <laughs> yeah, myself. Exactly. So yeah, that's not that's not great. So it was a great question to sort of get me to think about that. And and what I realized is that I I loved the not just being an actor, but sort of the rehearsal process, the crafting of the character, the bringing it to life, the text, the subtext, the body language, the yeah. collaborative uh, environment of the rehearsal. And what I realized is if I brought that together with my experience, that leadership coaching was absolutely what I wanted to be doing because there is so much around the work that I did previously that I can absolutely, both as a leader and as a uh, with my actors toolkit, bringing that to my clients. Wow, I've never I've never thought of that before. Like I've thought of bits and pieces of it because I've obviously used, like we were talking about before, it's transferable skills from the yep. theater. But you're right; it's all of that, like the subtext alone that you're trained to understand when you're training for acting is, you know, just hugely invaluable in relationships, right? And how do you engage your audience, right? How do right. you work? Yeah well with other people you're going to be on stage with people some you like some you don't you still got to make it work you still got to get the team which is the audience right to buy in yeah uh, you've got to constantly be monitoring where they are uh, a friday night audience and a sunday matinee audience are totally different. different yeah yep we go so whether that's a sales conversation that you're having or the difference between talking to your team and talking to your investors it's, it's this awareness of always needing to lean into that and bring into that, which is yeah. completely transferable skills. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, were there any points kind of, well, you, you had us at that point before when you asked that question. So I want to know, is that what resulted in your current company? It really did. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah 12 years ago, I think it was that. And the place where I was uh, by then, I was a, a single mom and I wanted to craft, I think this is the entrepreneur yeah. mindset for all of us, right? I wanted to craft a business around my life rather Sorry. than a life around my business. Yep. And so I started looking at all the factors that made that challenging with my previous business, whether it's when you have over hundred employees, they're just responsibilities and commitments. Um, if you have a brick and mortar establishment, right? If you um, have um, investors who are sort of uh, overseeing everything that's going on and don't allow sometimes the type of agility that you would like. Right. And so I started looking at all the factors and, um, and when I brought that all together, I knew I wanted a smaller boutique business. I wanted the flexibility to say, no, I don't want to work with this person, or this is not the right fit, or I want to travel this much and I want to travel here, but not there. Yeah. So that combination of that question, identifying the answer to that question and where I was at that point in my life was um, an ideal yeah. fit. Yeah. And you're, you're so right on. I mean, it's, but again, going back to the theater thing, it's like crafting a show from the, from the top to the bottom, right? Yeah. Like you're, yeah. you're rearranging the pieces, you're, and I love how you said like crafting my business around or crafting my life around my business, right? Because that is the entrepreneurial right. dream in itself, right? Yes. So let's jump over to the book because I think it's just okay. such such a wonderful topic. You know, I'm going to read a little bit to the audience so that they, you know, have a little a little bit of an understanding if you don't mind. And I just thought it was such a yeah. great, a great little excerpt. So, and it is when change intimidates others, you embrace it. Metrics inspire you and a bold vision drives you. You're an entrepreneurial leader, 
you thrive with rapid growth. Amen, sister, on that. But what happens when growth slows, plateaus, or even declines? What if your structure becomes unstable? Turbulence is the culprit, and it's capable of impacting everything from outlook and productivity to retention and sales. And this has to be my favorite line because I've walked many person through it. What happens when the cause of the turbulence is you? So number one, bravo, great topic. But can you define for our audience actually what turbulence means as it relates to business? Absolutely. Yeah, um, the, the idea of turbulence, people often think of it as some sort of out, outside factor, right? We've just right. lived through two years of tremendous turbulence, whether it be the fact that we've shut down or what's happened to the economy or inflation or supply chain. And that's not the kind of turbulence I'm talking about. I'm talking right. about the stuff that happens inside the organization and oftentimes really just goes unseen. It's a term that I use with my clients all the time, the idea, well, does that create any turbulence for you? Right. Or does that create turbulence for the team? That's something that's really, it's not seen. You don't see it coming. You may not even feel it at first, but it does create just an, a sense of discomfort, sometimes complete shaking. Um, sometimes it's felt in one part of the organization, but it, you know, it, but still impacts the whole organization. It can make the wheels fall off right. if you're not paying attention. And, and my approach to this is from the leadership development point of view is what are the things that we as a leader can become aware of and skills we can develop and things that we can do to either avert this kind of turbulence or mitigate it when it happens? Because there are a million things we will not have control over. So right. let's just talk about the stuff that we can have something you know, to do with. And so I really look at this largely from the point of view of the challenges around communication, miscommunication, lack of yep. communication, because I have found in my 12 years of my work that that is the one area where people aren't reading the books. They're not listening to those podcasts yep. because it's really unsexy. You know, if you tell yep. somebody you need to improve your communication skills, they think that they're talking, you're talking about, you know, being a better at speech giving or yes, yes. doing a TED talk. And yeah. it's like, yeah, that's not it. Yep. It's about how do you show up in a way that your team is gonna completely trust you? Because ultimately, yes. if you are the CEO, not the leader, but the CEO and nobody is following you, right? You're not a leader. Exactly. Um, yeah. So you need that kind of, how do you engage with people in order to inspire the kind of trust and confidence how do you give feedback in a way that's going to get the best out of your team? How do you even ask questions in an interview process to make sure you're looking for the right things, right. Uh, building out and communicating the right uh, culture for who you are, and then how you are showing up as a leader yourself for the type of organization that you're, you're running. So yeah. all of these things I found are the communication challenges that, that yeah, yeah, you're, with. you're so spot on. It's so much bigger than, you know, go take us, like I've been asked to give like communication one-on-one courses, right. And like, they, they immediately go for the tactics where they're like, how do I write an email? How do I, you know, like, how do I get up in front and speak to people? Like those types of things, but you're right. There's so much like, you know, unwritten or unspoken things that go into that and just being able to kind of read a room in yeah. itself, right. Is, yeah. is, or how about reading a room when there's no room to be, to be reading, right. right. When we're yeah. like in this, we're in this, this Zoom yeah. bubble that we're all in. And yet you still have to find a way to, 
you know, metaphorically read the room. Yeah. And I think to your point, I, I think of it, it is one of these um, issues that we think that the the communication, the email is the communication, yeah. or the speech is the communication, yeah. or it's like, it's the tool. Mm -hmm. It's like marketing. Social media okay. is not the marketing. Yeah. Uh, you can be doing a direct mail piece or an Instagram story, and that is a tool by which you market your business. The right. communication, the tools of communication are many and varied, and every day there are more and I personally think some of them are really not communication so much as they are sort of a way to deposit information yes, in the world. It's really uh, because as I talk about in the book, communication, if you think about the, the, the definition of the word or the foundations of the word, it's to commune, right? It is Bring always together. about a dialogue. Yeah. Even if you don't say anything back to me, I send you an email, there is still a response. Yes. And you have a thought about me or about what I'm talking about or the tone I use in my email. Right. And so that is where if, if I can just get people to stop thinking that the email is the communication yes. as opposed to thinking, what do I need to communicate and how do I need to communicate with this person to achieve what I'm looking to achieve? Right. It's, it's, what's the objective. And I thank you for, for giving that definition, because I think you're spot on. People think communication is like a one-way street and it is not like, I think that is, I say often to clients, like, well, what's when you're communicating something to somebody, what's in it for them? How is, how can you anticipate their response to it? How can you, you know, bridge the gap and navigate that point of it? You know, because if not, like you said, you'll be a CEO, but you sure as hell won't be a fucking leader. <laughs> like, yeah. cause you'll have nobody following you. Nope. You'll have nobody That's buying right. in and what a waste, right. like what, um, you know, unmet potential too Lately. there for CEOs. And then, and then, you know, your business, you may be, you may be there for a while, but ultimately there's attrition top people mm -hmm. who can easily find jobs are going to be gone. Right. You're going to be left with the people who can't find a job anywhere else and are willing to yeah. say, that's not going to be good outcome or worse from a sort of, I work with a lot of tech um, entrepreneurs mm -hmm. who have a lot of outside investment. Investors are not going to put up with somebody whose team doesn't follow them. And then no. you're no. out. No, they want the buy-in. They want the buy and they want to know that your team's going to follow you, you know, because you understand them and they understand you and you both understand the mission in which you're right. driving toward, you know? Um, so talk to me a little bit about how, you know, those internal dialogues for leaders, let's flip it. So we've been talking a little bit about what the definitions of them are kind of, and like what yeah. the output is, but what leads people to be not good communicators or not oh. able to navigate yeah, turbulence? Well, that's a, that's a long list. I think there's... <laughs> Agreed. If you think, I think the first, I think the first thing is that people just don't slow down enough to think about it. Like they don't put the yeah. importance to it that they think I need to slow down. Now, if you're a rapidly growing company or you've got a leader with, you don't have enough people on your team to execute on everything. The last thing you want to do is sit down and think about, oh, how do I need to engage this person? Or how do I need to best communicate? How can I get buy-in on this idea? So I think that that's one of them. Um, the other one is just the types of skills. I, I think that the first chapter in the book is about communication. And I think that I break it down into two parts. First of all, is the conversations we have with ourselves. Um, and I know this is something you talk about uh, with your audience, which is um, another way of thinking about this is the, the internal narrative or often the mindset yes. right? Yep. that we have. Our internal narratives can be incredibly productive and incredibly destructive. Yes. And mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, we, 
we often love to put them in one of those two categories. We often love to give a lot more weight and a complete bullhorn to the negative stuff just because there is some sort of random thing in our brain that makes us love the negative thing. It's easier yeah. to believe, right? But, um, but there is positive in there. And the way I like to think about it um, is if you imagine when those, when those narratives come, come to you, I love to, to write them down. And let's start, let's start looking at accuracy, right? Let's just speak in facts. Yeah. What is, what is true yeah. and what is some sort of narrative that is really feeding some insecurity and then digging into why it feels true when it really isn't true. Yeah. Agreed. I think it's such an important part because it's, it's foundational. If you are questioning yourself, how can your team truly trust you to lead them? How can an investor write you a million dollar check if yeah. they still sense a lack of conviction or a lack of certainty that you have? Yeah. And mindset, that, that positive mindset is not about thinking you're always right. That's Thank you. definitely yeah. not constructive. Yeah. Um, it's about being honest with yourself yes. and not allowing what things about, there are going to be things that we don't do well. There are things that we don't know. Right. And and not allowing that to drive the narrative, just be something factual, because if it's something you don't know, chances are you can either learn how to do it or you can hire somebody yes, who's great at it. Exactly. So there's solutions for that. But if we just let that overwhelm, it will slow everything down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it just reminds me of um, Brene Brown calls it like the SFD, shitty first draft, right? Yeah. Of what goes through your head, you yeah. know, and thank you for bringing up the point around, you know, you don't, I think they, people confuse it with, I have to know everything, right? Right. Like I have to know and be confident about everything. And that's not necessarily what you're saying, correct? You're saying, like you just exactly. said, you can hire, you can ask, you can find it out, but you have to have the difference between the confidence is that conviction, like you're saying, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And especially if you think about if you're an entrepreneur or what I like to refer to as an entrepreneurial leader. And the way I just re redefine that is because I, much like when you're, when you're an actor, you are an actor, whether you're currently working in a gig or not, yes, that's exactly, it's what you are, right? It's yep. because you can't do anything other than that. Mm -hmm. When you're an entrepreneur, it is not a title. It's not a job. Life. Like you graduate from college, say, I want to be an entrepreneur. Right. Um, I, I believe that's what you are. And I think there are people who are entrepreneurial who work in large organizations and yes. are able to leverage that. The way I think of it is there are people who are looking to problem solve. They are a little more risk tolerant. They're really collaborative and wanting yeah. to, to figure out a solution. So if you start thinking about all of those things, that means they're solving problems that nobody solved. They're doing yeah. stuff that other people haven't done. They're building something from scratch. Well, if that's the situation you're in, of course there's going to be stuff you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Because you you're solving stuff, for you it. Know, you're solving for it. There's and probably somebody are if you're doing things that is already all known, then somebody's already probably doing it. Exactly. Then the nobody's that buying that. Nobody's buying there that. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so part of that sort of risk tolerance that I think entrepreneurial leaders have needs to also come into our own mindsets. Like yeah. we have to be able to risk people thinking we can't do it or that we don't know enough, Wh whatever our imagination of an external, you know, what somebody might think of us. Right. And then ultimately that we say about ourselves, I think we kind of have to leverage that skill we already have and bring it into our internal narrative. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say the best leaders I've worked with are the ones who will say, I don't know. 
they'll be the first ones to say like, no, I don't know that I'll figure it. I'll figure it the fuck out, but I don't know that off the cuff. Right. Like the way I always say is that only confident, only confident people ever say, I don't know. If you think about it, someone who is really insecure gives you some sort of long meandering answer in the hope that maybe at some point they'll say something so that you'll, they'll sound really smart and you'll trust them. And the way I always think about it is that you just, it's not, I don't know, period. Right. It's, I don't know, comma. Right. I don't know, but let me find out for you. I don't know, but we're working on that. I don't know. I hadn't thought of it, but that's a great point. Whatever Mm -hmm. that is. Yeah. And people get scared to say that. Sorry. People get scared to say that to investors too. And people they're asking for money too. Right. So what do you say in those, in those regards? Well, I think that's of all the scenarios I work with, um, founders of growing companies with, I think that is the most important place because they're going to go into due diligence and they're not going to find out exactly what you don't know. (laughs) They're going to like, there's nowhere to hide. If you have venture capital doing due diligence on you, there is nowhere to hide the, I don't know. Um, And you want to like, you want to lean into that and show them that you're confident enough as a leader and as a business person to be okay with not knowing but figuring out a way to get a fix it or why not knowing that one question they have is not pertinent right now or whatever it is. So I think that that of all places is the most important, but again, what is it, what it comes after the comma? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, but let me put you in touch with my CTO who can go into the details, right? If you are not fully confident having a high tech conversation or deep tech conversation, with somebody yeah. that's okay, you should have somebody in your, in your team who can do that. If it's a yep. finance conversation, there's somebody on your team you can bring into that, right? Because right. it is not about you needing to know everything, but you won't need to be capable enough as a leader to bring together an amazing team to execute yes. on that particular idea. Yes. And I think that's where, especially some of our solopreneurs or our smaller businesses, you know, they think that because there had to be a jack of all trades, and you do in the beginning on a lot of levels. <laughs> that that's the way that you're supposed to stay, right? Um, And so I think that is so valuable to say, like you just need, it's as equally good of of a skill to surround yourself with people who are smart that it is to be the smartest one in the room. I don't like being the smartest one in the room anyway. That feels- I love being in a room full of people who are smarter than me. That's where I learn the Mm -hmm. most. As long as you're curious and you don't allow yourself to feel intimidated, right? There's nothing- because chances are actually, and this is the thing that we always forget about, is that we are experts in things. I'm an expert in things that other people are not expert in. Right, right. And that doesn't make me, if I walk into a room, people who are expert in deep tech, that doesn't make me less intelligent. That makes me yeah. less expert in that. But many of those engineers are left expert at the communication part. Yes, so good yeah. thing we met, right? Yeah. And I think that that's, that's the balance. Yeah. And looking at where, like to your point where things can complement one another. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the times that when you have to take the ego off the table with that, right. And actually say like, let me look at the collective skill set of the people in front of me and how much stronger are we when we bring this team together than we are like just me hanging out, pushing everything, pushing the keyword, everything forward rather than allowing it to move forward on its own. Absolutely. Yeah, completely. And to your point about the solopreneur uh, or the small uh, entrepreneur, that's a whole other beast, right? Because we don't, and I, that's the kind of boutique business I have. I don't have a big team. I am very specific and, and I've been very thoughtful about answering for myself. What do I know? 
what do I not know? Mm-hmm. And of the things I don't know, what do I want to learn? Yes. Yep. And, um, and, the, and, you know, I'll learn the things I'm willing to learn, but I do not, for example, I don't want to become a social media expert. There are plenty right. of people out there who great at that. So yeah. it's about how do I build the right team for the type of business that I have? Mm-hmm. And you either hire or outsource for those things because leadership, no matter what size your organization is, is a very lonely place to be. If you don't have a great team, it's, it's almost impossible. You're eventually going to get completely swamped and overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even if you, sometimes even if you have a great team, it's lonely, right? I imagine you run into that with a lot of your tech. I hear that all the time. It's lonely at the top kind of things. And I, people that are like, but you're at the top, you shouldn't, you should engage with your employees more than I'm like, but it's not about that. It's about the level of decision-making you're making. It's about the buck stops with you. It's about so much more. Can you give me your opinion on that? Yeah, absolutely. And you do want to be, they do need to be talking more with their employees, but not about a lot of decision-making is about, um, getting input from your teams and weighing that. But at the end of the day, the decision is yours. But what happens when you don't have somewhere to think things through, to just voice the concerns or the doubts that you have, because we all have them. Yes. You can't voice your doubts to your board of directors either. No, no. So that's why, you know, I really encourage clients to have a personal board of directors yeah. Um, that's what a coach can do for you yes, exactly. Uh, versus a mentor, right? Even your mentors, you don't, you don't necessarily want to let them into all the, the narratives, which may not be super constructive, but you do need to have a place to verbalize them, to think yes. through them, to work through them mm-hmm. and people to support you into assessing what's a truth and what's just a, a narrative that you've created for yourself. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's powerful. Yeah, I agree because I think often there's this, there's this notion of, well, you've gotten to the top. So therefore you, you don't need, you don't need the support anymore, right? Like you're at the top of the pyramid. So like either your company is supporting you from the bottom up or whatever, whatever, you know, notions it yeah. may be, but I love the fact, cause I believe in the same thing of like, you know, get a coach, get somebody who is just your sounding board, personal board. That's beautiful idea um, as a leader to have, because you also can get mired in all of the detail. Like you just, you said to me earlier, you know, you're at the front of the plane flying it and turbulence is happening behind you and you have no idea. No idea. And even if you turn around and look, you're at the front. What can you do? Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to get, yeah. if, if you don't have a team, are you going to get out of the cockpit and take a walk exactly. back to, Sorry. you know, row 23 <laughs> and just see what's going on? I don't think anybody's going to no. feel any more confident about that. So yeah, it's, it's, um, and even if you do have a big organization, right, when, when there is challenge, when there are things that are in front of you, um, that you have to face, right, you can't, I think of it, the, the term I use is you don't want to scare the kids. Exactly. I, yeah. I had a Thank business you. with, yeah. with over, at that point, we had about 50 employees when, um, you know, 9-11 hit and all of a sudden, all business was a real question mark. I mean, there was a two week period where nobody knew it was sort of, everybody was frozen and um, you can't have that conversation with your staff. They're thinking, how am I going to pay my mortgage? What am I going to do about the kids? Yeah. You know, what's going to happen. And so you are then in the position to think my job is to sustain this business so that everybody on my team can feel like there's a safe place for them to live their lives. Yes. That their livelihood is going to be okay. That's my gig. I can't mm-hmm. have that conversation with them. No. And people, people confuse that with transparency, 
right? Completely. I feel like I hear yeah. that all the time where it's like, well, you have to be transparent. Yes and no, right? Like there's to your point, like it's, but then again, I hear also like, well, you can't tell me what I need to be worried about. They need to tell me and be transparent and let me choose what I'm to freak out about. But, you know, what's your two cents? Goes, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that yes, I think, again, because I think I, I grew up, you mentioned earlier that I'm at the inter intersection of leadership and language. And I think yeah. language is so important. Yes. And so if you really think about the definitions of words, the way I really like to think about how, not only how are they defined, but how, how do we as a society really um, digest them? What do they really mean? Yeah. They all have sort of an impact on us. Yeah. And this idea of transparency is somewhere along the line means everybody should know everything at all times. And I yeah. think that that is unspeakably exhausting no. and fear provoking because just because you know something, it doesn't mean you could, there are so many things that go on behind every decision or behind every reality that, yeah. um, if you don't are constantly in the facts all the time, there's no way you can really assess that information right. in a constructive way. I understand the idea of transparency in terms of being to being able to talk to your boss when there are um, challenges in the organization. There are companies or there are leaders who don't ever want to hear the bad news. Right. Uh, right. That's not good, right? That kind of transparency is not good or decisions are always made in some sort of conference room in a different yes. city and then just disseminated without any understanding right. of the thought process of why that decision got made. Right. But, you know, if you tell your team that you're scared or you're nervous or you're worried or, you know, the loans coming due or, you know, the, the investors keep saying no and, you know, or somebody said yes. And then it turns out that they haven't actually, you know, signed the term sheet or whatever it is, that's not something the no. employees need to know. No. And to your point, I, but I think that comes with, that comes with time, right? Understanding where that gray area lives Yeah, because it's, I think people come into it thinking it's black and white. We tell them or we don't tell them. Right. right. But to your point, you know, having to have those discussions and then asking the whys and the understanding how people react to certain situations and the different profiles, especially when it comes to change management, Oh, yeah. And different things like that. People react in a lot of different ways. And then at the end of the day, like you alluded to earlier, your responsibility is to the company. Um, not in a bad way, like forget about the people, no. like a lot of people will say, but, you know, to keep the, the wheels on the bus going. Right. I, I, I like, I always love metaphors. So the yeah, thing I you. say around that <laughs> is that if you think of the captain of a ship, yeah. Right. Yes. They want to take care of the passengers on the ship, mm -hmm. but their number one duty is to make sure the ship is sound yeah. because that's going to ensure that everybody on the ship is exactly. safe. So yeah. that becomes the priority. If I just focus on one individual or a small group of individuals, the chances are that something is not going to go well for somebody else. Right. So we have to just be really cognizant of that. And again, I think that's why verbalizing this thought process, what's real, what's not real, what's accurate, what's not accurate, yes. where do I need to put the emphasis? When do I share this information? How do I share this information? You know, eventually there may be bad news you need to share with your team. Yeah. And how you choose to share that information is going to determine the outcome for them and for you and the business. Right. So right. Those are the types of things. If you build up strategies for doing that sort of thing well, the likelihood that things get streamlined and things move more easily, to, that you bring your team along with you, go way up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen so many leaders 
you know, when I was in corporate, we got bought and sold. I don't even know how many times, right? So a lot of conversations at all hands meetings, right? Like those kinds of situations. And there were times where I looked at the leaders and I said, you don't, you just need to tweak your body language. You just need to tweak like the empathy level in which you're delivering this with. Like they're not to me, like, yes, it's, it's a hard kind of thing to do, but they're really, it's really not like if you really tap into the human nature of it, right? Like, am I under, you know, underselling it? No, no, completely. I think that what happens oftentimes in those sorts of situations is that they walk in thinking about what they want to say, Yeah. as opposed to you need to walk in and think about what is my audience thinking? Exactly. Are they excited? Are they nervous? Are they terrified? Are they mad? And you need to lean into that. You need to be fully focused on helping them see what you see, helping them come to the decision that you came to. If you're just going to go in there and focus in on what you want to say, it's just, and you know, that's a really big one. You were talking about the times you've been bought, right? How many times in an M&A situation or merger and acquisition situation, where suddenly months before random people keep stopping by and they're kind of wandering the halls and you see, (laughs) you see them in the conference room, which which has glass nowadays. Everybody exactly. sees what's so going on. You know on. they're there. <laughs> everybody knows. Everybody yeah. knows something's up. And what happens yeah. to the, the human nature is that if we don't know what's going on, we are always you going to assume up. it's something bad. If you do not yep. communicate with your team, they are going to think that if you're not telling me, it's something I don't want to hear. So right. if that's what you want to communicate to your team or your employees, have at it. But I don't think that that's really going to get you what you want at the end of the day. And I mean, and that's good advice. If you have two employees, like a VA working next to you, (laughs) whatever it is, or a hundred employees, like either way, silence in itself is a communication tactic. Like absence of communication communicates a lot. I mean, what do we, we call it ghosting with dating. Nobody wants to be ghosted, right? (laughs) So does it communicate something like, yeah, I don't want to see you. You know, I'm not that into you as the saying goes. Uh, yeah. why would it be any different in business? It's, it's human nature. It is our, it is our animal brain. That's how we receive that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, and again, like I can understand the intention behind with the leadership, right? Like let's keep it quiet until we know all the facts until we right. can report the right things. However, like you need to be at least tapped into your teams enough to understand the rumblings, right? Because there's always to your point that rumbling starts. And if you are so disconnected that you have nobody to tell you, Hey, there's a rumbling, then that itself is a whole other problem. Correct. And I love that rumbling is kind of the auditory version of the turbulence. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And the way I talk about it in the book, there's a section where I talk about leadership in their teams. I call it walking the factory floor. So if you think the old school mentality that um, hundred years ago, you would have a big factory and the manager of the factory, they had their office right there. Yes. They were over the factory and they would go down the stairs and they walk would walk it. the floor on a regular basis. And you talk to everybody, you know, I have a, a very good friend of mine who still has a factory and he's the CEO of the company. He still has his office right there and walks the floor all the time. And he found out that some new filters that they had bought for the air conditioning was completely gumming up, literally gumming up the works in some of the machinery. It was not working. He found that out because like the guy who'd been working there for 25 years, who was still fairly junior because of the work that he did, um, was giving him that information. So what happens if you do go find out and you you hear the rumblings or you ask if there's rumblings? Um, What's going on? How are you feeling? What are you thinking? Yeah, because you need that input. You need the 
data. Yeah. And you have to be confident enough to hear the response. I think that's again, where that CEO versus leader comes in, right? Like a CEO or, you know, just a boss, I hear it oftentimes boss versus leader, right? Um, maybe doesn't want to hear the response because it challenges their beliefs or it challenges their view of whatever, you know, may be there, but a true leader is going to be open enough to say, thank you, to thank them, number one, <laughs> because they're boots on the ground. And, you know, I'm always a big proponent of knowing who the hell is working for you. <laughs> oh, well, there's, there's, there's that. Idea, right? <laughs> I love your idea that this is this idea between the difference between the boss and the leader. Yeah. And not only is it that they question, you know, they don't want to get questioned or they're nervous about being questioned, is it it feels like more work for them. Like I yes, if I yes. know, then I'll have more to do. Yes. And agreed. I just think, yeah, because you're focusing on the wrong things. Yeah. And if you focus on the people in the organization, if every person in your organization is absolutely the right person to be there at that time. And they have all the tools they need to be successful. And they feel that they have buy-in in their organization. I mean, everything gets easier. Yes, yes. Everything gets easier. Yeah. But no, we, we disembody our teams. We call them, uh, we say the head count or the butts in seats uh. or like, no, they're yeah. actually human beings that yes. every single one of them is different. Yes. And whatever our quote unquote managing style may be, I always think that's a bit of a misnomer anyway, but yes. it's not about how you lead people. It's how people need to be led. And yes. that just takes a little time and intention. Yeah. And I think people, people are very intimidated that, especially when scaling, right. Especially when the rapid fire nature of scaling, I mean, I've worked in tech, so yes. And I've worked in startups. So I can imagine for you, like that's a, that is a conversation yeah. you have a lot. Like we're moving so fast. Now you want us to slow down and get to know people like what the fuck? Like, you know, so I'm sure you hear that, but in the long term, right. It, it's a lifesaver. I would assume for companies. Yeah. Well, completely. If you think about if you're, if you're driving a car, right. And you're trying to pave the road as you go, it's going to be a bumpy ride and you're going to slow down. Yeah. Whereas if you take the time to pave the road ahead of you, you can go a lot farther, a lot exactly. faster. So yeah. whether it be, um, taking the time to engage effectively with your teams or building out great processes and infrastructure. Yep. Uh, all of those things, you know, you don't want to hire an attorney when you have a legal problem. It's the same thing. Like you don't want to do this stuff on the fly yeah. guys. You yep. want to make sure you build up great relationships. So when things go bad, when things get hard, everybody's going to want to, you know, pull at their oar and keep you moving forward. Yeah. And thank you for including processes and procedures in there. Cause that oh, yeah. is one I of my, my biggest pet peeves is like, oh, now we're going to go back and define the process. Oh, yeah. right. Now you have all of your employees who have done a process one way for like five years. So good luck with that friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's like people building a house um, and thinking they're going to put in like floor tread, they're going to build a second story, but they don't have floor trusses. So they're going to try and like put it into the house while they're building the second story. Like, yeah, that yeah. doesn't work. Well, that, yeah. I think it's acknowledging that it's a living, breathing thing, just like the people yeah. are in your organization, Absolutely. right? It's always going to evolve. And if you want it to just set it and forget it, then maybe you shouldn't be a founder because I don't think that that goes hand in hand with those things. And I think that that's really interesting because that, that brings up another really nuanced um, challenge for leaders. I think when you're growing that fast is that sometimes you've got this amazing team when you're starting, you're small and everybody's scrappy and it's sort yeah. of an all hands on deck situation. But you may come to find that there's a point where somebody who is amazing and loyal and great 
um, the company outgrows them. Yes. And that is not an easy conversation to have. No. But it also doesn't serve you. And most importantly, honestly, it doesn't serve them. Yeah. Because they're going to become frustrated. They're going to have a hard time. They can create disruption on their team, whatever it is. If you give them the honest conversation that says, I would love to help you find a place where you can grow in this space, but where the company, that's not where this company is going. Right. Um, Yeah. I've helped people fire people. I helped a woman have a firing conversation. We prepped for a conversation where she had to let somebody go. This individual sent her an email the next day, thanking her. Like, when does that happen? Because you did it with empathy. And I'm not saying like, everybody's going to react like that, but there has to be, you know, I always, I always just was really confused with managers, especially, or bosses or bosses, CEOs, whoever you want to label them as who would go in and have these life-changing conversations, because I'm sorry, if you're firing someone, you're laying someone off, you are changing the trajectory of their life. And I'm not being dramatic with that because you literally are, you know, so numbing out and not being present for that and not acknowledging the fact that that's what you're doing has always, I mean, it's a defense mechanism. I understand on that level, but it's always kind of struck me as like, just, I don't even know. There's a, there's probably some curse words in there for that, but because you detach and you forget there's a human. But also I want you to think about that because you brought up such an interesting point. Yeah, it completely changes the trajectory of that individual's life. Yeah. That doesn't, A, it doesn't mean it has to be a bad inflection point exactly. in your life. It may Thank open you. the door yep. to something great, number one. Yep. But number two, it can change the dynamic of your organization. If you do that poorly it and will. they are Absolutely. there for another two weeks, yep. that can be so toxic yes. to your company that even once they leave that toxicity, the residue of that toxicity remains and it, it, it affects the perception of you as yes. a leader. Yeah. So if you walk into that meeting thinking I have to give bad news or this person may react poorly or I don't want them to cry or whatever that is, as opposed to saying, I wanna sit down with them and figure out a solution for them to move forward with their career somewhere other than here. Yes, yeah. What is that outcome like? Right. Right. Not a get them the hell out kind yeah. of thing, you know, or triage the problem because it's a person right. like, yes, it causes problems, but they are not a problem. You know, I think that is a very, you know, good distinction to make as well. And to your point, that stuff spreads like wildfire. Absolutely. I think like anyone who's ever managed a team with one toxic person, whew, like that'll, that'll topple your entire department before well, you know one it. bad interaction with the yes. leader. You know, I think that the key to effective leadership, the way, the reason why I think authenticity is such an important part. I read a whole chapter on this particular thing is that yeah. if you are inconsistent, you can never be authentic. Right. Because Agreed. people will always Agreed. question everything else that you do. So yeah. that becomes the challenge. And then what happens though, if there is somebody who is a problem, and they get treated one way and somebody else gets treated some, another yeah. way, right? Yeah. The squeaky yeah. wheel is always getting the grace. That comes back and reflects on you. That means yeah. that the rest of the team isn't gonna trust you. Right. That's not good. Right, and it means that you're not necessarily connected because you see those problems that also equally arise when your best people who you don't, they are not the squeaky wheel, leave. And you have no idea yeah. why they're leaving or how they're leaving or that they were even contemplating leaving. Absolutely, because they're know? not gonna so, tell you, hey, heads up. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm leaving by the way. Yeah. Joe Schmo is toxic and horrible. And all you do is promote him. So I'm leaving. Yeah. 
yeah, they're not going to, they're not going to have that conversation, but if you were tapped in from the beginning and we're not by all means, I'm going to caveat this. Like I do a lot of things in this podcast. This is not an easy thing that you just snap your fingers after listening to this episode and do, you know, it takes a lot of work and a lot of authenticity in itself takes a lot of work and understanding what value set you want to live with and different things like that and how you want to show up. So we're not saying it's easy folks, (laughs) right? But you know what, what I will say is easy. So I also don't want to feel like it's so hard that you mm-hmm. have to read a book and take a course and Agreed. go yeah. to get a degree in this, right? So here's what I, I say to people. If you start doing this, slow down enough before a meeting, before a call, before a conversation, before a sales pitch, before an investor pitch, slow down enough to think, what is my intention? So I use that yes. term. It's a, an actor term. You probably know yep. this, right? Yep. An actor thinks you have your play, right? But every actor asks themselves, what is my intention in this scene? Because when we determine in advance our intention, it affects our word choice, our tone of voice, our body language. It completely changes how the person on the other side of the table receives that conversation. Mm -hmm. So if you think, what is my intention here? And you always make sure that it's something that's positive, even just that change alone you will start to notice a difference. And I want to distinguish between intention and objective. Completely. Because people tend to, I've heard people use that interchangeably and they're two very different things. Can you speak about that a little? Yeah, my objective, when you have an objective, that's sort of a very tactical, you know, this is, um, I need to let this person go. That's my objective. Yeah. My intention is to find out how I can help this person move on in their career while making them realize this is not the place for them. Yes. It's a completely different thing. Yes. And I think a lot of people go in with an objective, but not an intention. So that is fantastic, fantastic advice to be giving. Um, I could talk to you all day, like a lot of my guests, but especially you, Ren, like we're on the same wavelength. Um, Oh, I know. I could geek out about this stuff all day long. I know. Can you tell people where to find you though? Because unfortunately we need, we do need to wrap this up. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yes. Well, my website is articulatepersuasion.com. So that's easy. Or you can find me uh, under Monique Maley on LinkedIn and you can reach me either way. Yeah. I love it. And thank you so much for just a boatload of wisdom here that you brought today. It was a pleasure having you on. It was really, really fun. I love having a podcast like this where someone can tell the the interview is really interested in the subject and is passionate yeah. about it. So thank Great. you very much. You're welcome. You know, I really think that this might be in, you know, I put, I tend to put in my mind, my episodes in like these different categories. And I think this one is definitely in my top five, especially when it comes to the ones that I would provide to leaders as recommendations. Monique has some incredible points. So if you are a new leader, if you are even a seasoned leader who is just looking to expand, you know, your knowledge and go deeper in terms of communication and dealing with your company, I definitely recommend you go and find her book, Turbulence. It's available on Amazon. It's a great read and you will not be disappointed. And on next week's episode, I am welcoming my friend, Matt Ward, or who I like to call the king of relationships because he's built his business and actually has helped many others do the same based on going deep and casting a wide net in regards to building relationships. So we are going to be talking about that topic as well as many others, and you don't want to miss it. And if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, follow, rate, and review. And you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.